This is Green Seas, the podcast by Tradewinds about the environment and the business of the ocean. I'm Eric Priante Martin, and today we're going to look at time bombs at the bottom of the sea, shipwrecks full of oil. It's 1943. A convoy of cargo vessels, known as Liberty Ships, accompanied by Navy patrol boats to protect them from attack, are crossing the North Atlantic. They brave stormy seas in this film by United Newsreels, which I obtained from the U.S. National Archives. When the seas calm, a more serious threat remains. With the turbulent ocean now calm as a mill pond, the convoy steams at top speed. For despite Hitler's threats of submarine attack, The convoys are going through. That threat emerges, a German U-boat. Suddenly, well in advance of the cargo ships, a spotter sights an undersea raider. Depth charges fly out over the ocean. A second volley of high explosives. Nazi submarine forced to the surface. This story has a happy ending, for the cargo ships in the U.S. Navy at least. Shattered by depth bombs, the stricken raider is abandoned. One of dozens that are meeting the same fate. The Allies are sinking them faster than the Nazis can build them. But other World War II attacks had another outcome, and their story is not yet over. Take the Coimbra, a British tanker that was sunk by a German U.S. torpedo off the coast of Long Island in 1942. This is the sound of a diver descending toward the wreck of the Coimbra in 2019. Why were the U.S. Coast Guard and New York State officials returning to the wreck some 77 years after it sank? Because when it went down, it brought with it tons of oil that remained trapped in the tanks until it began to leak out nearly eight decades later. That's why these ships are time bombs ticking silently in the bottom of the ocean and just waiting to go off. And the consequences could be catastrophic. This is Benjamin Ferrari, who's working as an advisor to the Lloyd's Register Foundation's potentially polluting shipwrecks project. The the figures that are most often used in this, uh, when discussing this challenge, are that there are some 8,500 wrecks that we know of that, that may be polluting wrecks, and that the amount of oil in those wrecks, whether residual cargo or residual fuel, could be as much as 20 million tons. Now, that's huge. It's like 500 Exxon Valdez oil spills. And this is a globally distributed challenge. So it's not a question of tackling, you know, a small number of hotspots of activity. In in fact, a, a significant number of coastal states have these potentially polluting wrecks in their waters. What we also know is that uh, you know closer examination of archives and records show that's probably an underestimation of the challenge that we face. And Ferrari told me that the risk that these shipwrecks face is not just about leakage of oil like we saw from the Coimbra. Rather, it's about a catastrophic collapse of these vessel structures that would release large quantities of oil all at once. That's not just a possibility. What we're now finding through survey activity 
is a very broad-based dilapidation of these wrecks over time. And we are now moving from a situation where there has been chronic leakage of oil to a situation where there is now an almost inevitability of catastrophic collapse of these wreck structures leading to release of large quantities of oil. And we have to get ahead of this problem. In fact, the divers who inspected the Coimbra found not just a few holes, but a generalized weakening of the vessel's seams and the dilapidation of its bolts. And impacts from heavy fishing gear had made the situation worse. The weaker a hull gets, the more of a problem those impacts become. The Coimbra's oil has been dealt with, but what about the thousands of other wrecks? The Lloyd's Register Foundation, the charity that owns maritime classification society Lloyd's Register, has built, and it's continuing to build, a coalition of organizations aimed at tackling this problem through its potentially polluting shipwrecks project. A big part of that is bringing together organizations that have information about legacy wrecks that might have oil in them. Louise Sanger is head of research, interpretation, and engagement at Lloyd's Register Foundation's Heritage and Education Center. The project is trying to convene people who are working in the space, and, and that would act in the form of a call to action, like who has information on the legacy wrecks that are potentially polluting wrecks. Um, one of the people who's used our um, records, Dr. Innes McCartney, said um, the situation, you know, it's it's acute if you can't identify the exact location of a vessel. It's it's acute if you don't know the, the type of vessel and information on it. Um, so the digitized records that we've produced and made freely available online, they've already been used to identify um, over 120. 29 previously unidentified wrecks, and that's just through one small study. Another goal is increasing awareness about the problem. Ole Varmer is a senior advisor on ocean heritage for the Ocean Foundation, an organization that's been involved in the project from the start. And he told me that the project is aiming to develop a book to spread information about potentially polluting wrecks. And the Ocean Foundation is aiming to increase ocean literacy in connection with the UN's sustainability goals. This issue, it involves a threat that is not apparent to the general public. It, it, in some communities, there has been some history because of the, the pollution that results in loss of animals on the seashore. But we decided uh, that this is important for us to show that potentially polluting wrecks are a threat to our ocean, both natural and cultural heritage, that ocean science is important in addressing that threat and, and making sure that we have a healthy ocean uh, for present and future generations because the ocean is so important to uh, uh, the quality of life uh, in, in, as reflected in the UN's uh, goals. And then there's finding solutions and on capacity building to make those solutions possible. The Lloyd's Register Foundation work very much on convening coalitions for change, and that's very much um, at the heart of this project. We know that it's a, pro it's a problem that's global. We know that it's a problem that can't be solved by one country. It needs to be tackled um, at a global level, ultimately. And we want to convene stakeholders that can, that can input to that, whether that's bringing together data and evidence, whether it's um, bringing together technical solutions, or whether it's bringing together the potential financing and mechanisms that's going to be needed to achieve that. Sanger said the project is gearing up for workshops that include a deep look at the technological landscape. And she said 
companies in innovation and technology in the maritime sector have shown interest in taking part. Another will look at the regulatory landscape. After all, the ultimate solution will take more than a coalition of nonprofit groups. While authorities in the U.S. have dealt with the oil from the Coimba and from the Jacob Lukenbach shipwreck off California, that leaves thousands of wrecks to deal with. At least in the Asia-Pacific, there's so many World War II wrecks from the U.S., Japan, Australia, Canada, others, U.K., uh, but they're lying in the waters of lesser developed nations and, and they are great dive sites you, you, you i don't know if you are a diver or you've been to truck lagoon but you know there's they're, they're great dive sites uh and a lot of these you know these lesser developed nations you know like the solomon islands you know they're they're dependent on tourism and fishing you know their economy and 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 if one of these wrecks starts to have the release that has happened, for example, on the coast of California and the, the Lukenbach, it is going to have a really severe economic impact on the livelihoods of fishermen and, and the coastal uh, uh, eco-cultural tourism. And so that's one of the reasons that we're trying to get ahead of this. But the solutions really have to come from the governments that have the regulatory authority. Varmer said the International Maritime Organization or IMO, might be the most appropriate forum to deal with this problem. And he says UNESCO should have a role, because many of these wrecks are in locations that are recognized for their cultural or natural heritage. But time is not on our side. The International Union for Conservation of Nature predicts that marine pollution from sunken vessels will reach its highest level this decade, and climate change means the seas are more violent than they once were. So there's severe weather events resulting from climate change. They're speeding up the process of wrecks. And, and there's evidence that's, that's showing that um, rapid deterioration, uh, breaking apart of wrecks on the seabed. Um, if you think in terms of the time many of these uh, wrecks have been down there, especially from the World Wars, there's been 75 years of corrosion already. So leaks from sunken vessels are expected to reach their highest levels within about 10 years, but we don't have enough data, scientists don't have enough data to forecast when or where those individual leaks might occur. So we really need a systematic approach to identifying where the most um, volatile uh, wrecks are, where the biggest risks are. Um, there's also urgency around thinking about the financial cost of responding the project's leaders said emergency response mode is the current method of dealing with wrecks. That is, tackling oil spills when they happen, rather than proactively. But that's an expensive way of going about it. The thought we would like to leave your listeners with is, investment now will save billions in avoided costs. We, we all know, however expensive it may be, and it can be costly, to remediate these wrecks, that is very small amounts of money compared to what it costs to reconstruct coastal industries, coastal environments, and coastal communities. Action now is the sensible thing to do. Here's more on the environment and the business of the ocean. The Green Seas newsletter focused on a story by Tradewinds technology editor Craig Eason about the rise of the wind-propelled fleet. The number of vessels powered by the zero-carbon technology is expected to double this year. Get the newsletter in your inbox by signing up at tinyurl.com slash greenseas. 
Liberty Green Logistics, the Long Island-based company focused on the offshore wind supply chain, has snapped up digital technology firm Renewable Strategy. The deal not only marks a move into the software-as-a-service business, but it also expands Liberty's footprint beyond the U.S. market. Euronav, the tanker company controlled by the Savories family that's merging with its clean tech company, is looking to order 120 low-carbon vessels, including bulkers, container ships, and offshore wind vessels. Smaller vessels will be powered by hydrogen, while the bigger ships will use ammonia. Read these stories and more at tradewindsnews.com. Music for this episode is by Alex Grohl on Pixabay and United Newsreels from the National Archives.